Welcome to God in the Ordinary, a podcast to help you reveal God to others during your everyday. Special guests share their stories with songwriter and author Sharon Tedford. In 2022, a wildfire devastated a village close to London. Today's guest stepped in to support her local community, even though she felt like an outsider. Amid the tragedy, she was privileged to offer the hope of Jesus. My guest, Wennington Church of England vicar Elise Peterson. Elise Peterson, it's lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'd love you to tell our listeners, because in a minute, once you've said more than a few words, they're going to be a little bit confused about you. Tell us where you live and where you're from. Two very different questions. (laughs) Indeed, yes. So I currently live in Far East London in a village called Raynham, but I'm originally from the US. I've been here in the UK for nine years next week, but spent a lot of my growing up years in California and then lived in Portland, Oregon for about 10 years before I moved to the UK in 2013. So we were just chatting as we were waiting to get started and you were telling me that where you work, which is in churches, because Elise is a vicar, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Tell me about the age of the churches that you work in. So I'm responsible for two churches. They're both 12th century So older than America, which is absolutely really fun. We're very glad to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. You will know if you listen to our podcast often that we love to have our guests share a reflection on Isaiah 61, because that is an important chapter in the Bible that helps us know how to reveal God to the people that we bump into every day. Elise, I believe you've prepared something for us. I have. Is it possible for a pastor to proclaim good news to the poor? To bind up the brokenhearted, to provide for those who grieve and mourn in the midst of a community tragedy when that pastor is part of the community? And can a pastor fulfill their ordination vows to care for the souls in their community when their own soul is aching and grieving too? Those weren't necessarily questions I expected to have to answer when I became the pastor of the parish of Raynham and Wellington. But when a wildfire raged the village of Wennington on the 19th of July, 2022, evacuating the whole village, threatening the church, and ultimately destroying more than 20 homes, I was reminded of just how powerful the Holy Spirit truly can be, how when I feel weak, God's strength is most evident, and it is through His power that I minister, and not my own. Often when we read Bible passages such as this, we tend to read them as something to live up to, to embody, and it's all too easy to try and do it in our own power. But in the midst of the tragedy in our village, I found that although I felt completely inadequate and often overwhelmed by the circumstances, each day I had the strength and often the discernment that I needed for the moment. The prophet Isaiah begins by declaring that he has been anointed before ever listing off any of the things that he is to do. None of that would have been truly possible without the anointing. In the days and weeks following the fire in Wennington, people often said to me, Oh, it must be so hard. But I always responded, It's not hard. It's tiring, sometimes overwhelming. But there's such joy in the midst of it all. Because I was doing none of it out of my own strength, it was easier to see the Lord in all of it. And to greatly delight in the Lord, because He had clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me 
in a robe of his righteousness. Thank you for that, Elise. It never ceases to amaze me how wonderfully different everyone's reflections are. Before we go any further into our discussion, can you please elaborate on what happened in your village so recently? Yes. So on the 19th of July, I had just finished a funeral at the crematorium. It was a very hot day for the UK, um, 40 degrees centigrade, um, 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, came out. I had some colleagues waiting for me, and they said, we've just had a call from a fellow clergy person asking if we were all right. And we said, yes, why? And they said, because Wennington is on fire. And they said, and your phones have been buzzing. So I picked up my phone um, and had a phone call from one of my church wardens telling me that our other church warden's house had already burned to the ground. And at that point, we thought they were taking refuge in the church. Um, so we dashed off to the village, seeing huge plumes of black smoke billowing into the sky. And um, of course, got there and we're told you're not going into the village. It's way too dangerous and spent that afternoon at my other church in prayer, opened it up, invited all of our congregation, anybody wanted to come and pray, but we're also carefully watching everything on our phones, on the news, trying to determine from the aerial footage what was happening in the village. We could see that buildings had been destroyed. We were getting phone calls from people telling us that the church had been destroyed, but I just had this sense in my spirit and based on some of the things I was seeing in the aerial footage, no, the church is not gone. And so we spent that time, that afternoon, just praying, asking God what was going on. Um, But about nine o'clock that evening, we had aerial photos, and we could see as the smoke had dissipated that the church building was intact. And in fact, at that point, I couldn't tell if the fire had breached one of the walls in the back that was not shown in the photo, but the building was standing. And that's incredible because, as you said, that 20 houses in the village were destroyed. And we will upload the photos to social media, but also we'll put some links to it in our show notes. Just explain to us what happened to the church and the fire, Elise. Yeah, so my my church warden whose house burned down, initially he and, and other villagers went to the church to take refuge. And so I knew that the church at some point had filled with smoke. But the photos that we finally saw that we could see all the way around the church We have a churchyard. It was all burned all the way around, but some of the villagers called it, there was like a halo around the church. No fire touched the actual church walls. And um, given all the destruction around us, it definitely felt like a bit of a miracle. But I was also asking God, okay, but why? Why did the church survive when my parishioners' houses were completely destroyed? Um, Faithful members of the church lost everything. Um, So the question was, okay, Lord, why is it that you've preserved the building? What is that about? And I I had lots of villagers saying to me, oh, someone was watching out for the church. And I just, I struggled to receive that saying, yeah, but why, why the church and not everyone's houses? That's a great question. And I would urge you to go and look at the photos. Clearly, God did have a hand in this somewhere. So what was the general feeling from people about the fact that the church was left unscathed when, as you say, many of your people who you love and serve lost everything in the fire? The majority of the villagers that I talked with were just so glad. Even if they didn't come to the church, um, there's not a whole lot in the village of Wennington. It's 112 residences, a fire station and the church. And I had some say to me, when I see the church, I know that I'm home. 
and we're so glad that it's there. And and um, on the day after the fire, the first time we were able to go back into the village, the fire brigade was bringing everyone into the church to brief them before allowing them to go and see their homes. And, and uh, I had a lady say to me, well, I'm a pagan, but I think someone was looking after you. <laughs> and... Uh, the next day, you know, read to another lady who said, well, I'm, a, I'm an atheist, but clearly someone was looking after you. And I think they may need to re-examine what those terms mean, but... I agree. <laughs> yeah, there was this sense that something supernatural had happened, even from people who don't claim Christian faith. But the villagers are so glad for their church, which is what I keep saying to them is, you know, this is your church. Whether or not you come here regularly, this is your church. And... Uh, it's preserved for you. That's a profound comment to say that when I see the church, I know that I'm home. There's a lot to dig into there, but I bet you could write a sermon on that, Elise. Yes. <laughs> You've been in this parish for a couple of years. You're not new there. So when the fire happened, did you already have a deep relationship with the people of the village? Were you a well-known figure? I think that was the thing. I really wasn't because a lot of the time I've been there, I started in July 2020, in the midst of the pandemic, in a season where it had been really difficult to get to know people. Um, the majority of the people who worship in that church don't live in the village themselves. And um, the narrative I would hear from people who'd been there for a long time, well, the villagers don't care about the church. They don't want to come. We invite them all the time. They just kind of resigned themselves of, well, we're just kind of a little bit of our own club. We tried and we keep trying, but maybe we just need to carry on on our own. So actually, in the beginning, I felt a bit like, well, what am I doing here? Um, They don't know me. I don't want to push in to their grief and their pain. And yet I have a responsibility as the vicar, as the pastor in their parish to be there. And I got some really helpful advice from the archdeacon, who is my boss in the Church of England system. Um, He talked to me on the day of the fire, and uh, he said, you know, if you can find the evacuation center, there's really great opportunities for pastoral care there. And that really opened up the doors to help me find the way in to start to build relationships and be there for people, as well as connect with my own parishioners who I hadn't been able to get in touch with before then. Absolutely not the way that you would have wanted it to happen, but what a beautiful opportunity. So did you find the evacuation centre and, and did you go? What sort of conversations ensued? Yeah, so so Wednesday, the day after the fire, I hadn't slept much that night. I was doing press interviews in the morning and then I went, okay, so they've told me that it's in this place. And I just kind of put it in my sat nav and drove to Harrow Park Lodge. But it was a park and I'm wandering around this park going, well, where is it? You know, because I'm tired and not thinking particularly straight. And I finally got myself some water, sat down, pulled up Google Maps and went, where would it be in this area? Oh, look, there's the leisure center, the community center and got over there. And and, um, when I first arrived, they had all the residents in briefings and people working for the council were welcoming, but they didn't want to let me into the briefings. They didn't want to interrupt them. But I just went and chatted to people. And it was actually for the first time that afternoon was when I finally saw my church warden, um, who I knew had lost his home, but the fire had started next door to his back garden, his backyard. And um, he had fled in what he was standing in. So, you know, I was able to connect with him and um, really start to talk not only with the villagers, but with the people from the council who are working to support the villagers and, and the fire brigade and begin to discover what was happening and what was going on. It might seem really obvious to you, but what was your first connection with them? What was the first thing you said? What did you bring to the table when you first bumped into them in this centre? I think it was simply to introduce myself and ask, how are you? 
how are you doing today? What's going on for you? And then just to listen, um, to let people share their stories. Because I didn't, you know, I didn't have any practical support at that point to offer. There was plenty of that around them. Um, I think that the next real opportunity, though, came later that afternoon. The fire brigade announced, we're going to take you all back into the village. We're going to put you on buses. We're going to take you back to the village. That was the first time. So that was more than 24 hours after the fire had started and most of them had been evacuated, that they were going to go back in. And I, I went up to the representatives of the fire brigade and I said, would it be all right if I came along? I'm wearing my clerical collar, so they figured out who I was. And they looked at me and they said, well, of course, it's really important that you come. You need to come. And that was something that kind of happened. You know, I did feel like an outsider at first because I don't live in the village. I live in the next village over. And I thought, I've not had their experience, but I had that sense of I am their pastor. I'm their vicar. It's my responsibility to be here. Um, So it was kind of a little bit of a battle within myself of both having experienced some of that trauma myself of, of seeing the flames, but also knowing it's not the same as their experience and trying to, to find that balance. What I love about what you did, though, Elise, is first of all, you went to the park and you couldn't find them and you did not give up. You kept looking. You knew God had called you to go there. And so you kept going to where God had called you. And then secondly, you just offered compassion. And I think sometimes we forget how valuable and important a listening ear is. And you proved that. Have you built relationships through those early conversations? Yeah, I'm just overwhelmed every time I think about it. Um, so on that Wednesday, they brought all of the um, the residents first into the church. It's not a big church, so they kind of had them in there in shifts. And originally, there's also the fire station in the village. Originally, they'd said, oh, we're going to brief you all in the fire station. And then somewhere along the line, they changed their mind. And when we got to the village, they came onto the coach I was on and said, oh, we're going to take you to the church. And then the leader of the fire brigade looked at me and said, is that all right, Vicar? <laughs> I said, absolutely, let's go. So it was such a privilege to be able to, you know, have the church used as a space where there was there was need for more compassion um, because the way the briefings went is the fire brigade kind of give people an overview, say we're going to take you to your houses, you need to follow our instructions, you know, go with us. It's all still very dangerous. And it was at that time. There's still gas leaks and flare-ups happening and all, all sorts going on. Um, And then they would ask, you know, everybody, what area of the village do you live in? They all have distinct rows of cottages or houses. And then they would ask, and what number are you? And then they would look at their list and look at the people and say, I'm sorry to tell you that your house is no longer there. Or they were able to say, your house is intact, but we had to bust open the door to make sure the fire hadn't spread. So you're going to deal with smoke damage or your garden was destroyed by the fire or everything's all right. And I think a lot of them knew going in because of all the television footage, but to actually see it. And then there in our church, I watched people and sometimes it was just offering a tissue where I saw that there were tears, um, watching the members of the fire brigade sit down with the people and just talk with them. And the way they answered my questions as well, you know, because even though the church wasn't destroyed, it was affected by the fire. And, you know, their compassion was amazing. So it was a wonderful experience of just that kind of the, the community coming together as well, the residents supporting one another, listening to one another, leaning on the fire brigade. Yeah, God was just doing so much in that. And um, it was then Thursday evening when they finally said, okay, if you are you know live in the village or if you have a reason to be in the village, they still had it blocked off to traffic, you know, not letting just anyone in and keeping the press out. 
we went in and that was when I started to have more casual conversations with people and uh, kind of approached some people who were out in their front garden and just started to chat and someone said to me, oh, is the church going to be open on Sunday? And I had planned to just have a service at my other church because we do joint services in the summer anyway. We only have one. And I said, oh, no, we're only going to have the service down at Raynham Church. And he said, oh, be awfully nice for the church to be open, even just for us to kind of get together and encourage one another and catch up. And I you know, had to pause and go, okay, I need to rethink what I'm going to do. And I went home that evening, and, and I had just that afternoon planned with my associate minister and his wife, who's one of our service leaders as well, what we were going to do. Um, I was going to preach at Raynham, and I gave them a heads up. I said, we might need to change things. And then by midday, I thought first, well, maybe I'll just do something really quick, and then I'll go to my other church. And by midday on Friday, I had to bring up my associate minister and said, I need you to get ready to preach on Sunday. I need to be at Wennington as long as I need to be at Wennington on Sunday. That's so powerful. Yeah. And we didn't have a service. We just opened. We just said, the church is open. Um, We'll serve refreshments. We're there to listen. Um, I had connected with a young woman who was a former resident who started a fundraiser. I said, you know, we want to hear from you. We want to know if there's ways that we can support you and help you. Because immediately, of course, donations started coming in. And I'm going, what do I do with this? Um, So, yeah, that was really the start of just just listening. And I think that's continued to be the thing is listening to the people and going, what are they asking me for? And can I can we as the church provide that? That's the second time that you've brought up the power of listening, Elise. I don't know if you realise that, but that's something that we can all learn from, that just casual conversations with people are actually very often not casual conversations with people. They're leading somewhere. They're Holy Spirit-inspired moments. You just happened to bump into that resident who happened to say, why don't you open the church, which led to something very new for you. Do you think that now your church or the community around your church view the church building in a new way? Did it take on a new character? I think it really has. And the second Sunday after the uh, the fire, I was down at Raynham Church with, you know, both of the congregations, because again, a lot of the people who worship in the Wennington Church don't live in the village. So I said, you know, you need to come. And I just said to them, look, what I think God is saying by preserving our church is that there needs to be a church in Wennington, because like a lot of small village churches in England, it's always under threat of closure. Do we have enough funds? These old buildings are really expensive to keep up. You know, we have a small congregation, mostly elderly people. Can we keep this going? And and in my two years there, I've a number of times questioned, does it make sense? And just for a series of events that I just thought, no, what God is saying is we need a church in Wellington, but it needs to be a different church. It needs to be a church for that community. And so I'd kind of always had an idea of what would it be like if we took the pews out and made this a more flexible space that actually villagers could come and they can have a party in the church. We're all right with that. Or, you know, we can have events and just have more flexible space. So that's reignited that for me. (laughs) To coin a phrase. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Again, I thought, okay, Three weeks after the fire, I, I was due to go on vacation, on holiday, to come back to the States for several weeks. And I thought, well, I can't put out anyone else to try and keep the two services going. We'd planned to only have the one over the summer. But the villagers said, oh, well, we'd really still like to keep having services. Because again, it was the same thing the next week. I thought, oh, well, we won't. We won't have a service there. They're asking me, how can I say no? 
So my church warden, who also leads services, I kind of quickly, before I left on vacation, came up with a plan and just have a short half-hour service. And um, there was a young woman who I've really gotten to know who had grown up in the village and recently had moved back to the village. She's back with her family, her children, and she said, I remember when we used to do the Christmas pageants, and we should do that again. And my church warden has a lot of background in music, in performance, and I said, Danielle, you need to talk to Pat. And within a few days, they had plans to start a children's singing group, and they sang in church the last two weeks. That's brilliant. You could never have planned that. You could never have guessed that, Elise. It just came to you. It came via tragedy. What a beautiful gift. Just makes me think about, I don't know the name of it, but there's a a desert flower, isn't there, that doesn't grow until it's hit by fire. And it sounds like that's what's happening in your church. You just said a couple of things that really make me think. You said that you wanted a flexible space for your community. But then you said, actually, that you're being flexible with your community through the way that you're listening. And isn't that really what we, the church, capital C, should be? We should be flexing with the Holy Spirit. We should be flexing with where he's guiding and leading us. How do you find the strength to do that, Elise? I found the strength in letting go. Ironically, the morning of the fire, I was talking with um, one of my leadership team, I'm being really honest, I'd had a rough couple of days. I was feeling very fragile and, you know, being honest with her about it, she began to pray for me. And after a while, she said, I'm going to pray something. You don't have to say amen. (laughs) Warning, warning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, warning, warning. And then she began to pray about the absolute panic that she had seen me get into when I'm not in control. And it was just like, took the breath out of me because I like I this has been my lifelong struggle in my own relationship with the Lord and I didn't realize how much it had resurfaced and I mentioned it later to a close friend later that morning and she said yeah you do like your ducks in a row and you don't like it when anyone messes with them oh <laughs> and yet that afternoon here comes along this situation in which I have absolutely no control and like I said in my reflection I just had to, you know, people kept saying to me, oh, this must be so hard. It must be so hard. I said, no, it's not hard. It's not hard. It's tiring. It's overwhelming, but I'm not doing it in my own strength. I'm doing it in his strength and just taking moment by moment. And, you know, in the face of tragedy, in a crisis situation, but I want to hold on to that. I don't want to lose that. And I I hope it's a lesson that, you know, the people who have been in the church a long time, because there's that tendency in us, and I think we've seen it post-COVID, and I'm using air quotes there, you know, we want to go back to normal. But I don't want us to go back to normal, because actually normal wasn't that great. (laughs) Normal meant we weren't sure how long that church was going to stay open. Um, So I'm really trying to cast a vision with people going, we need to be something different. We need to listen. We need to be gracious. We need to be open and welcoming. And uh, yeah, God's doing great things. You're listening to God in the Ordinary with me, Sharon Tedford, and my guest, Elise Peterson. Before you were ordained as a vicar, I see that you were working in the tech, publishing and communications world, which is a little bit different. Did you ever have the opportunity to reveal God to your co-workers back when you were in the corporate life? You know, it was always always a struggle, you know, and I'd felt called to full-time ministry. And so even while I was doing that work, I was attending seminary and working on a master's degree part-time and so it was always there at the forefront with me and, and kind of going, where am I, I going to go? And so you're always thinking, how do I do that? 
And yet, in a way, especially in a place like Portland, Oregon, um, which is known as one of the most unchurched areas of the United States, but it was it was simple conversations with people. You know, what did you do this weekend? Well, I was at church on Sunday, and this is something that happened. Um, saying to people when they would share with you what was going on in their lives, I'm going to pray for you, um, and not being ashamed of that. I remember once uh, my church on Ash Wednesday was having a midday service. So one of my friends and I, who attended the same church, worked in the same office. We went and we came back with the ash on our forehead. And uh, one of our coworkers was like, well, you should have told me I would have gone with you. So it's just, you know, being ourselves and letting those little opportunities. Um, I certainly was known amongst my clients. The company I worked for, Microsoft, was one of our largest clients. And the team I was on, we had a very close relationship with those clients. It was common that we went out and went to conferences and there was a lot of partying and drinking and they began to know, oh, Elise is different. Elise is not going to stay out the whole night. <laughs> One client I knew for years, you know, he would know at a certain point. He's like, you're done, aren't you? You're, you're going to go back to the hotel. Yep, I'll see you later. So, you know, it wasn't, oh, I'm going to sit down and share the gospel with you end to end, but it was just walking in that light. And I, you know, I think that serves me well coming in and the way our culture is now, the way England is, you got to listen to people, find out where they are. Um, Obviously, it's different being a vicar, a pastor, they look at me differently, they expect it out of me, so I don't have to be ashamed about it. But also, you know, it is this conversation about how we do these, these little services and how we've said, okay, let's keep it simple, let's keep it short for a while and kind of, you know, let people get a feel for it. Yeah. So even wearing your dog collar, as we affectionately call that little white collar that shows who you are, you're just being yourself and taking opportunities. This is so inspiring for all of us because it doesn't matter what we do or where we are. God has called us to be his children and to continue in that, whoever we are, being his children, being the, as you said, anointed ones. He's anointed us ready for whatever today brings us. It's really inspiring. When you took the jump, Elise, from the corporate world to the world of ordination, what was was it that suddenly made you move your feet? And was it an easy transition? It was in the sense, and because my journey towards ordination included my move to England, um, so that was a huge leap. I quit my corporate job. I packed up my house, put everything in storage, and moved to England. And I, at that time, I only had a plan for that first year. Um, I went to a theological college in Bristol, one that primarily trained people for ordination in the Church of England, um, not knowing anyone, not even having been to Bristol at that point. Um, I'd been to that part of the country, but not to Bristol. And I went with fairly low expectations. I thought, oh, I don't know how this is going to work, because I was going to move into the residence hall. Um, did this before. I'm not sure if I want to do this again. But but again, God was so gracious. And the people that I met there are still some of my closest friends. I kind of refer to them as favorite cousins. I don't always see them very often. But when I do, they are the people that I had these foundational relationships with. And so that was where my sense of call to the Church of England was really solidified. And you know, began to move through the process, which is long and quite rigorous, um, to even get recommended to train for ordination. Um, I've had issues with visas. I've had challenges with where I was going to go to to training college. There have been times when I, if I looked at it from a human perspective, I would have thought, I should have given up. I should have gone back to the States. What am I still doing here? But there was never that sense that that was what I was supposed to do. My sense of call not just a full-time ordained ministry, but to particularly ministry here in England, um, that never faltered. 
And um, again, it's that sense, isn't it? I talked about my whole control freak nature. And it's when I've had to give it up that I'm best able to see God at work and just take that big leap of faith. When I've had to give it up is one of the times that I am best able to see God at work. If you hear nothing else today, (laughs) grab hold of that with both your hands because that is really powerful. I love that you just said that your human perspective might be that I should give up, but that's not God's perspective. And I think that's really powerful, important thing for us to remember. So to close, Elise, what happens when we find ourselves in situations where we're sharing in tremendously hard circumstances with other people who may or may not know God? What's your advice on how we can share the love of Jesus from moment to moment? I think one of them is one we've already talked about, and that is just to listen, Um, especially when people know we are a representative of Christian faith, of God, and um, not rush to try and fix. I think the other thing that I've learned through this particular um, circumstance is just that ministry of presence. And, um, you know, there were times in the days after the fire, it wasn't super easy to get back over to the church. And I'd think, yeah, I've got plenty to do. I could just stay here in my study. No, I need to get back over there and be there and be present. And that's continued. So one of the things we committed to doing for most of the rest of the summer was having the church open for a couple of hours every day so that people could just come and be there and Again, we tried to do that before and no one would turn up. And we would have a a steady but small trickle of people coming in. So that ministry of presence, don't underestimate that. Thank you for saying that. We can have an open door to our office. We can have an open door to our church. We can have an open door to our hearts so that people know they can come to us and just talk and that there'll be somebody to listen to them. Thank you so much for reminding us about the ministry of presence. Elise, you mentioned that you were getting lots of donations and people wanted to help with money offerings. If people want to still do that today, or they want to talk to you further about how to love people in tragedies, can they get hold of you? Where can they find you? Yeah, so probably the easiest thing is my email, which is rev, R-E-V, Elise, E-L-I-S-E, Peterson, with an O-N, at outlook.com. I'm also on Instagram at Elise M, is in Mary Pete. There is also a GoFundMe for Wennington residents um, that I've been collaborating on, um, started by a young woman from the village. So that's a way to donate if you want to donate financially. It's been a real pleasure to have you with us here today. Thanks for joining us on God in the Ordinary. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to God in the Ordinary with me, Sharon Tedford, and my guest, Elise Peterson. You can find out more about The Village at the Raynham Parish Church Facebook page. That's Raynham, R-A-I-N-H-A-M. For our show notes, go to 61-things.com. This podcast is a Wise Word Radio 61 Things co-production. We pray that you're encouraged to reveal God in your everyday.